be here with y'all tonight, especially as we uh, wrap up RUF for the semester and we get to be together this one last time uh, before we do finals and things like that, um, that we get to do lessons and carols. So it's one of my highlights of the year. I love it every year. And it's just always so great to get to sing Christmas songs with y'all. So let me start. Uh, some of y'all know this. Some of you don't know this, but before we moved here, Katie and I lived in St. Louis, and we loved our apartment that was there. It was like a 100-year-old apartment that had been redone right before we got there. It had like brand new hardwood floors. It overlooked the botanical garden, which was like beautiful. It was five fifty a month, which was super cheap. And it was, it was just incredible. It was this amazing place to get married and move into and get to be with uh, one another in that. In this really sweet season. But one of the things we didn't know when we moved into this apartment was that every morning at 5 a.m., this bus would pull up right underneath our apartment window and it would be like, shot at Tower Grove, shot at Tower Grove, every single morning. And people would get off the bus and get on the bus and it was super loud. And one of the amazing things about it, though, was that after like 30 or 40 times of this happening, you didn't even wake up anymore. Like, you would have dreams, and in the dream, someone would look at you and say, shot a tower grove, shot a tower grove. <laughs> but you weren't awake, and it was fine. <laughs> and it just goes to show you that, you know, whether it's extraordinarily bad or extraordinarily good, like, people can get used to almost anything. Like, almost anything. I mean, we slept over that bus stop for, like, five years, and it was fine by year four. It was fine. <laughs> I know this isn't the case for all of us, but for many of us who grew up with, you know, sort of a church setting, we can really get inoculated to Christmas. Like, we can get inoculated to how amazing it is that God would put on flesh and become a baby. We can sleep through this event, which should really just wow us every single time we sing about it and look at it in the Bible. We can sleep through it and not be moved by it. And the reason is, is we can just get so familiar with this stuff that it's just not a big deal anymore. But as we read about the virgin birth... We should really be struck by two things here. And that should be God's humility and God's commitment to be with us. His humility and his commitment to be with us. So first of all, think about God's humility here. Think about how Jesus comes. He's absolutely helpless. He's a baby. He comes as the child of probably someone who's about 14 years old who almost gets divorced before she gets married. Herod, who's like the regional despot, like finds out about it, and so he tries to have Jesus killed, and so his whole family, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, flee as refugees to Egypt. Like, God comes in this incredible humility. And just goes to show you, he's not a slave to anything, certainly not to power. And so when he comes, he comes in vulnerability and in weakness and not in strength. It echoes Paul's words in Philippians that though Jesus is in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. That the one who is holy will open himself up to claims of illegitimacy. So that for the rest of his life, people are going to look at him and say, like, we know who your mom is, but your dad? To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, there's more inside the stable at Jesus' birth than there is outside of it. That God becomes this tiny baby, even though he's infinite, eternal, and powerful. And yet he shrinks himself down to be with us in humility. Second of all, oh wait, I don't want to go past this. In many ways, uh, the virgin birth is just God's gentle critique 
of human self-centeredness and pride. And yet it's so kind and so gentle in the way that he does it as a baby. We find so much of our identity in trying to prove that we're better than the people around us. Like for a lot of us, part of how we got into UNC was we strove so hard to be better than the people around us in our classes. And the greatest day of our life was getting the admissions letter because it kind of proved that identity. And then we got here and we were just another extra gifted person in a sea of extra gifted people. It was this huge letdown. Because our identity couldn't be in being extraordinarily gifted above all the other people around us. But right from the beginning, Jesus' identity is not improving himself better than the people who are around him. But it's in serving his father in humility. And the first act of humility is in becoming a baby that gets laid in a food trough for animals. This is an incredible, humble act on God's part. Secondly, look at God's commitment to be with us. All of this, Matthew says, fulfills a prophecy from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For many of us, this is the time of year when you and I can feel the most alone. Like everything rests on your shoulders, all the tests, all the papers, all the work is just coming down right here on you. And, you know, you can have really sweet, sincere friends who will say, you know, I'm with you in my thoughts and prayers. Like, I'm with you in that. And what they mean is that they're not actually going to be there, but they're going to send some positive thoughts your way and pray for you some. And that is, like, that's legitimately good, but that's not what God is talking about here. The virgin birth shows that God is not only with his people, but that he's so with them that he's willing to become one of them. Do you ever feel like you're an outsider? Like you're kind of knocking on the glass trying to get in and it just never kind of works for you? Here is God, the ultimate insider, the source of all beauty, the fount of reality. And he's willing to become this ultimate outsider, this baby that's born out of wedlock to a peasant who becomes a refugee, who's holy and yet dwells with sinful people. Because God is committed to be with us. As this is Jesus' first act in the flesh, what do you think it says about Christianity and what that's all about? I mean, is Christianity all the stuff that you're not doing and the ways you're never going to measure up? Like God looking at you saying, you know, bad personality, uh, too focused on grades, not doing any evangelism, in fact, avoiding that conversation with people. Like, here's the standard, here's the reality, and here's this yoke of guilt I'm just going to place upon your neck. No, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is actually about the things that we most hate about ourselves, or most deeply ashamed of, our sin, like your porn habit, the fact that you have all these issues with food and your body, that you love success more than you love God, the fact that you hate your failure more than you hate your sin, that those are the things that actually draw out God's love and compassion and which draw Him so powerfully that He would become one of us, that He would approach us in grace and love and do whatever it takes to make that right. In a room this size, I always wonder who is here. I just always wonder that. Like, how many of us surround ourselves with people all the time because we just feel so lonely inside? How many of us are addicted to something? It doesn't matter what it is. Alcohol, exercise, approval. 
How many of us are drawn to white nationalism or drawn to hate people who are drawn to that? I don't know. I'm just always curious about who shows up at RUF. I do know that some of y'all feel like hypocrites sometimes. I feel that some way too. Like I'm a pastor and I tell people about grace and then I don't give it. Or I talk about holiness and then I'm not a holy person. Do you know that Jesus was born to be with us and to heal us of those things? That a lot of times what we want is this proud kind of love where we have the right answers and we're the kind of people who kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get credit for being strong and wise or the most moral. But it's actually your weakness, your brokenness, your sin, your suffering, which has so moved the heart of God that He left heaven to live the life that we can't live for ourselves and to die the death that we should have. That Jesus Christ is God's soft judgment on humanity at His birth. That we need someone to redeem us outside of ourselves and we cannot produce that person. That Jesus comes not by decision or desire, not by this process of education or civilization, but Jesus is born by the will of God because He must do for man what man cannot do for himself. He must unite Himself to a real human body and soul and mind so that He can unite Himself to you so that you can have his joy and his life and God's favor and his welcome and so that he can have our sin and our suffering and our sorrow. That the true gift and the true joy of Christmas is God's grace, freely and joyfully given at the cost of his own son and given to you with gladness and welcome. And that should wow us. No matter how many times you've heard that, We should not sleep to that. But we should rise and sing and enjoy it. It's Christmas. It's beautiful. So I'll end with this. I'm a huge uh, Lord of the Rings fan, though I try not to wave that flag too often up here. Uh, But at the end of the Lord of the Rings, after the ring has been destroyed, Frodo goes back to the Shire and is living uh, kind of a normal life with Sam and his friends. And he just, he's too damaged from dealing with the ring to kind of live a normal life. And so he and Sam go to what's called the Grey Havens, which is where the elves of Middle-earth leave, and they go to the West, which is uh, this land of joy and healing and light. And Sam says this, But, said Sam, and tears started in his eyes, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire too for years and years after all you've done. So I thought too once, but I've been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. The y'all, in Christmas, you have Jesus Christ, who was from the, the beginning, was God and was with God, who had all joy and power and honor, and he left heaven and lost those things. He gave them up in order to save you to seek you, to dwell with you in the world, to redeem you from sin. And that's the true joy, that's the true gift, that's the true grace of Christmas. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you uh, have given us everything in Jesus. You've given us everything in your Son, who is the light of the world, 
who reveals sin and yet also reveals your grace and your truth. Lord, help us to dwell in him, to dwell with him, to dwell under him, that he would be our head, that he would save us from sin, that we would follow him all the days of our life, that he would be bread for the hungry, he would be the way for the lost, be life for the dead, he'd be a friend to the friendless. Lord, let us enjoy that this Christmas. Let us look for that in glory and honor with him. Amen. Thank you.